0: Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Okay, this is part two of the healthy thyroid. Literally three keys to get it. Last week was the six keys. Now we're going to go to clarify and get this thing working. Now, all this is going to be on the Dr. B VIP. And thank you all for supporting that. Um, and uh, this coming Sunday, I've got a, a webinar usually runs about an hour and a half, two hours for Extreme Health Academy. Now, let's look at you live your life through your nervous system. Okay? We know we have an endocrine system. We know we have a musculoskeletal system. We know all of those things. Okay? The nervous system is in two parts, and it's called the automatic or autonomic nervous system. One part keeps you alive under stress, and that's the sympathetic. Now, this is actually located in the rib cage area. Now, the parasympathetic is rest, digest, and repair. And that also is vital for the immune system. Now, that's located in the upper neck area and in the pelvis. Now, if you, and this is hugely important that you understand this, if you've been diagnosed with a low-functioning thyroid or adrenal fatigue or or heart palpitations, or um, elevations, or, or uh, fatty liver disease, okay, or diverticulitis or colitis, your body is responding correctly based on that stimulus, correctly. Now, now this is going to be a change in mindset because when people come in and they say, oh, yeah, low-functioning thyroid, adrenal fatigue, I've been on all these different supplements, and, yeah, well, okay, well, what's the source of it? and when i say look your body's responding correctly correctly i have i can't poop at every other day and and i'm exhausted all the time you say this is correctly yeah your body is responding correctly based on the stimulus okay so now and this is based on your bo- brain's view of the body in space so think of elevations in heart rate okay Blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol, stress, all of these things are vital. Like I just had a patient that was, you know, really upset. And she says, like, I have high blood pressure. It was 160 over 80 something. And and I said, well, no, your blood pressure is appropriate for what you're going through. And she looked at me like I'd grown two horns. I mean, it's it's just like it, – think of this, okay, instead of listening to the pharmaceutically trained uh, representative, okay, that the, he's called a medical doctor, let's look at your system as intelligent and built by God. So if you have high blood pressure or elevations in heart rate, that means you're in a sympathetic dominant state. Um, if you have been diagnosed with elevations in blood sugar or cholesterol. Cholesterol is, the pre, is used for tissue repair and the precursor to most every hormone you make. And elevations in blood sugar means you're in a stressed state. So your body's re- responding correctly based on this nervous system. So we've got to find the stressors. Now, um, everyone will say, well, the thyroid is stimulated by the, the pituitary. And that's kind of true. Okay, because the pituitary spits out a hormone called thyroid-stimulating hormone, except the the hypothalamus, okay, controls the pituitary. Now, the hypothalamus is unique. It's got one foot in the endocrine system, one foot in the spine, in the nervous system. And this, it senses the presence of T4 in the system. And then that causes the hypothalamus to release thyroid-releasing hormone, and then that stimulates the pituitary. And so so if you think, and there's a bunch of different axes, hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis is what it's called. Now, the system regulates uh, the physiology mechanisms, uh, physiological mechanisms, stress reactions, immunity, fertility. It does everything. So that means when we talk about autonomic function, autonomic nervous system. It doesn't just control it. It receives information. So this way, your brain and body are always uh, interacting. There's always sensory input going up and sensory input or uh, uh, motor impulse is going down. Uh, if you look at the vagus nerve, the vagus nerve controls coordinates every function of the body. And I'm talking it, it controls heart rate, It controls um, digestion. It controls motility or or every function of digestion. Now, when you look at the excretion absorption, that's all vagus nerve. Now, what's wild is that's only 10% of its function. 90% of its function is sensory. So this brain is is intimately connected uh, to the entire central nervous system and all the stuff um, synapses in the hypothalamus. The adrenal glands go to the hypothalamus, and I mean everything goes to that hypothalamus. And so, and, and I just got a patient today with a hypothalamic problem. Uh, do you think it was a problem with the hypothalamus or the pituitary? Or do you think maybe there was a trauma altering the input into it? Okay, so just know you live your life through the nervous system. Then, um, most important, okay, your thyroid hormones are converted, okay, into um, in the liver, intestines, kidney, and lung. So when we look at this, you start thinking, well, wait a second. I thought the thyroid just produced certain hormones. And it does. It produces T3, T4, T2. Um, now, T4 to T3. Okay, T4 is what the thyroid produces mainly. Um, it about 20 times more T4 than T3. The problem is T4, when it's converted to the active T3, T3 is three or four times more powerful than T4. Now, this conversion occurs in the liver, intestine, kidneys, and lungs. So just picture the average person that they're eating a whole bunch of fast food. Well, this will cause low-functioning thyroid. Why? Why would the oxidative stress or or polyunsaturated fats um, like canola, soy, vegetable oil, safflower, sunflower, walnut oil, all the processed food additives, why would they negatively affect the thyroid? Uh, well, because they're going to negatively affect the intestines, the kidneys, the lungs, all of this. Okay. In, in addition to which, a lot of these polyunsaturated fats negatively affect thyroid function. Now, if the thyroid or if you're in a stressed state, your body's going to secrete cortisol. And cortisol is brilliant. It's one of the few things that keep you alive under stress. Now, the big thing with cortisol um, is in short term, it helps your immune system. It helps your body regulate. It helps everything. Okay, long term, it will kill you. And this is why a lot of people who've been under stress for a long time, they're going to have weight in the belly, seat, and thighs. And that, that weight distribution has to do with excess cortisol. Um, Also, abdominal fat distribution, thinning of the limbs, a moon face. So there's a lot of visual signs that you can see that that are contributing factors to that high cortisol. So the cortisol secreted by the adrenal glands and then the thyroid hormones secreted by the thyroid, they're in a balance. It's always a balancing act. So if cortisol is raised up, then the thyroid is lower. Now, you can take supplements to lower cortisol. You can take drugs to raise the thyroid function. But how about we look at, um, at how the body works? So the things that raise um, cholesterol or cortisol is uh, low thyroid function and inflammation. So this means any tissue damage anywhere in the body is going to raise cortisol. And if it's an acute inflammation, like let's say you're swinging a pick in the garden, beautiful but also inflammation from tissue damage from toxic food that will raise cortisol. Stress, and that's physical, chemical, emotional stress. Uh, tissue damage, okay, toxic food, and injections. Since we can't say vaccines, we have to say injections. Yeah, that's the, the state of the um, situation that we're in now. So now what uh, lowers cortisol, a healthy thyroid function, healthy vegetables. This means organic vegetables, not loaded with pesticides, healthy water. What kind of things lower thyroid function? And let's see this. Okay. We already know that estrogens, and this could be endogenous estrogens. It could be, you know, soy products. It could be endocrine disruptors like glues, plastic, pesticides, Um, liver toxicity. So this means that if somebody's drinking the genetically modified high fructose corn syrup, I mean, I'm talking like soda. Okay, this could damage it. If you're taking fluoride, and it's not just in um, toothpaste, fluoride is in a lot of different products. Any product that is manufactured in a manufacturing plant that utilizes fluoridated water is going to have fluoride in it. Pesticides are estrogen-based. That's going to elevate it. Then back to the stress, toxic food, medications, and injections. So when, if your doctor is just prescribing um, T3, T4, or, or, or Lavoxothyrine, without looking at your environmental exposure to fluoride or pesticides or what type of medications will negatively affect it, or if there's been some type of tissue inflammation, then this doctor needs to be fired. What helps the thyroid? Healthy gut function. So medications damage the thyroid by also damaging the intestinal tract and create an inflammatory response. So what kind of things help the thyroid? Healthy gut function. And this means fermented foods, eating foods that your grandparents would recognize. You know, we're talking organic seasonal, varied, free from preservatives. That's fantastic. It helps the gut. Um, Healthy food, healthy water, low stress. And I mean stress that you're dealing with effectively. Physical, chemical, emotional stress. Now, so we have this change of belief system. We have um, a, a medical world. That not only and and we are living in a bizarre country, I think at the last I heard is like thirty or forty percent of all of the um, people in our government and i 'm talking like senators, congressmen, the people that m- make the laws they 're being funded by the pharmaceutical industry, our media is being funded by the pharmaceutical industry, our medical education is being funded by the pharmaceutical industry, and now we have a fascist government that is forcing medical procedures without informed consent on the public. Uh, Why? Because the government is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Then we have massive regulatory capture where the agencies that are designed to regulate the industries that they're supposed to be watching are actually paid by those industries. This is why the Center for Disease Control owns 57 um, vaccine patents, and the National Institute of Health, also they make money by by approving of these drugs. So we are living in the in the the country of pharmaceutical in, industry, and this has literally taken over the world. So it's an allopathic model, our, our allopathic model, and it's in the decline. And think of this, okay? So one medications for symptoms. There's no individuality, okay? This means if you have high blood pressure, you get a diuretic beta blocker ACE inhibitor based on the opinion of the doctor or the opinion of the government. You might get one shot fits all. One shot for everyone. Doesn't matter your history, you get it all. And if you don't accept it, then you lose privileges of travel, socializing, anything else. We just went through three years of insanity, Um, And injections, that's for disease prevention. Now, there's no talk of healthy diet support, individual therapies. There's no talk of vitamins or exercise or connection or dealing effectively with your physical, chemical, emotional stress. And in fact, if you even suggest something like that, then you not only will be canceled, but there are passing laws now to put people like that in jail. And you can lose your license. You can lose your freedom. So this is, this is the, the frog in the pot with the water turning up. Now, on the other side, we have health freedom. Health freedom is where you are the one in charge of your own health. Now, you might say, well, there's a social contract. If, if there's a disease going around that a, an, an injection or a forced medical procedure will, will protect those around you, then it's not just about you. Okay, really? Okay, so is, are these injections 100% safe and 100% effective? No. Okay, good. What's the risk factor? If they haven't been studied for a really long time, um, you know, the, what's the risk-benefit ratio? Now, let's say that you had a disease going around that 99.9% of the people wouldn't have an issue with. Um, would an experimental injection have a risk-benefit ratio where it's safer to take than to expose yourself to the virus, which human beings have been on this planet for thousands of years, and we've been exposed to a lot of different things, and we've developed an immune system. Uh, You know, can you see the difference here? The rigid allopathic model and health freedom where you can decide. Uh, So it's time that we um, take back our health. And if you look at this, the delusion of diagnosis, when we're talking about thyroid function, high blood pressure, inflammatory bowel, fibromyalgia, cholesterol, um, breast cancer, attention deficit disorder, all of these things are going to put the body under stress or they're adaptations to stress. So in addition to a low-functioning thyroid, you can have a host of other symptoms based on your adaptation to stress. Uh, so, really, you've got physical, chemical, emotional stress. That's all three of them. And correcting you, these stressors, because you don't want to eliminate it. Without stress, you die. But with too much stress, you're going to die. Uh, so, it's really how you handle the physical, chemical, emotional stress. So, if you're always at a desk, not moving at all, by gosh, you're going to have to move at, at work or at break. Because movement is a vitamin nutrient. If you're very physical at work, okay, let's say you're a chiropractor or a contractor, okay, you had better be physical in your downtime. Because if you're just laying around exhausted, uh, your body is not going to be healthy. When you're physically working, you're using your muscles, and some of them can get in the anaerobic metabolism. Anaerobic means they're not getting enough oxygen. And so this means soreness and achiness will build up everywhere. And that's going to get in the lymph system and cause diffuse joint pain. And, you know, literally it's going to feel crappy. Okay. But movement will move that lymph flow and de-stress out the body. Plus, movement is going to help with that brain function. It's literally going to send signals up. Now, emotional stress. If you master your emotions, if you take charge of your emotional health, Um, this is going to alter your physiology. Chemical stress, this could be poor sleep, lack of nutrients, um, the toxic chemicals to alter your physiology. You might know it as medications and toxic food. So addressing all of these is hugely important, and that's going to help your thyroid and everything else. So now how do we measure stress levels? We use heart rate variability. Okay, and we can measure clearly the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, and we can measure what normal is. So understanding that you can measure this, and I'm gonna have a couple of case studies up, and you're gonna see very, very clearly, here's a guy diagnosed with um, a 45-year-old, high blood pressure, type two diabetes, and thyroid disorder. Does he really have a thyroid disorder or type two diabetes or high blood pressure? No. He's under stress. His body's responding correctly based on this stimulus. Uh, so identifying the stressors, and that's why we use the heart rate variability to check um, autonomic activity. Then we use surface electromyography to measure the muscle activity that that runs on either side of the spine, and rolling thermo to measure organ and gland function. Got another patient. 83 years old, numb hands, anxiety, fatigue, high blood pressure. Now, electrical burning, sharp shooting, numbness, those are all symptoms to do with the nerves. Now, numb can be diabetic neuropathy, Okay, but she doesn't have elevations in blood sugar. So when you're looking at numb, are they numb all the time? Knowing that the nerves could be compromised in the neck, that makes sense. Anxiety is a feature of the frontal lobe, and that's controlled by the cerebellum. And the cerebellum gets its input from the spine, and also anxiety has to do with gut function or neurotransmitter production. So it's called a gut-brain connection. So if we see that the gut's not functioning correctly and the spine isn't giving correct information to the cerebellum, that makes sense where anxiety, stress, depression, all of those are going to be in the frontal lobe. Fatigue, okay, what happens when somebody is in a completely stressed state? They are wiped out, okay, if they've been hurting for a long time. And then what's high blood pressure? Stress. So numb hangs, anxiety, fatigue, and stress, um, or high blood pressure, That is; those are all responses to physical, chemical, or emotional stress. Now, here's one in, in an article in Trends in Neuroscience psychobiotics and manipulation of gut bacteria, the gut-brain signals. We review probiotic and prebiotic effect on emotional, cognitive, systemic, and variable relevant, variables relevant to health and disease. The, we discuss gut-brain signaling mechanisms enabling psychobiotic effects such as metabolite production. Uh, overall knowledge of how the microbiome responds to exogenous influence remains limited so this is huge so anything that alters the gut bacteria can alter the brain function so that digestion now now it kind of makes sense that if that vagus nerve is responsible for most everything in digestion but that's only 10% of its function that 90% of its function is sensory in, into the brain that makes all the difference in the world so that makes is Makes sense at why the vagus nerve is mainly sensory or afferentation, um, because anything that you put in your mouth is going to go into the gut, and that can negatively or positively affect your brain and immune system. Now, leaky gut and the causes of this are neurotoxins, genetically modified antibiotics, poisons, prescription drugs, um, poor fat absorption, gallbladder function, and what is this listed? This, this will link to lupus, scleroderma, colitis, multiple sclerosis, fatigue, all of these things a leaky gut is going to contribute to. Now, fluoride has been used since the 1800s to, um, to reduce thyroid function. And this has been amazing. Now, up until the 70s, the scientists in Europe were prescribing fluoride to reduce basal metabolic rate, or BMR, in patients who have an overactive thyroid. Now, think of that. They fluoridate our water in some communities. I mean, that's just criminal. Uh, If you're looking at Coke and and certain types of milk and, and certain manufactured products, if they use... If they use commercial water that's been fluoridated, their products are going to have um, their products are going to have fluoride in it, and that can negatively affect the thyroid. Um, what's What's amazing? They've known about this since 1976 um, in a congressional record. Um, Dr. Dean Burke, and you're talking chief chemist of the National Cancer Institute. He said that. A seven ounce. <laughs> he said that, in point of fact, fluoride causes more human cancer deaths and may cause it faster than any other chemical. Even Procter & Gamble said a 7-ounce tube of toothpaste theoretically has at least enough fluoride to kill a small child. Uh, so why are we using this? Uh, to protect your teeth? No. Uh, <laughs> it's an industrial byproduct. Now, iodine, which is what your your thyroid needs, um, can be mimicked okay by chloride, fluorine, and bromine and they 're all halides they they act like like iodine, so this is hugely important that you look at what you 're putting in your system now there 's a lot of controversy on iodine, which um, is crazy but you know if you figure there's controversy on injections medications uh, a few months ago there was controversy on masks and social distance and the flu going around so this is one of those things that you need to get educated on dr brownstein and it's actually dr uh one of his books and this is the fifth edition uh, iodine why you need it why you can't live without it And I truly recommend it because he is one of the most definitive experts on iodine. Now, when we look at emotional stress, we talk about physical, chemical, emotional stress. What happens under emotional stress? Well, the hypothalamus is stimulated by sensors in the spine, and this communicates to the cerebellum. The cerebellum controls the frontal lobe. Frontal lobe impulse, um, impulse control, anxiety, bipolar disorder. And then this negatively affects the gut function or the enteric brain where neurotransmitters are produced. And then this goes into the subconscious, um, which is programmed through repetition, not belief. So this is literally the mechanism of how emotional stress affects you. Um, and now, one of the things, and this was brilliant, it was published in the Journal of Self and Identity self-compassion, an alternative conceptualization of health and attitude towards oneself. Self-forgiveness, okay, and a self-acceptance. Because when you look at the world has totally bad, totally horrible, totally everything, um, is it really? Or is there more of a balanced perspective that you can? Imagine, all good on one side of a top, all bad on the other, all black on the other. And if you spin this top, you're going to see a gray area. And that's where we live, in the gray area of balancing good and evil, in balancing health and and, uh, not health, okay, what you can do. Uh, So if you live your life in balance, and that's balancing the physical stress, chemical stress, and emotional stress, You're going to thrive on this planet because you were designed in the image and likeness of God. You're designed to thrive on this planet, Um, and and you will. But just eat the way your great-grandparents ate. Think the way your great-grandparents thought. (laughs) Um, Look at prayer, meditation, healthy nutrients, and sleep, and take charge of your health. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you.